Hello and welcome back for another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle, and two notes of housekeeping before we get into today's topic. Last episode about Deshaun Watson being traded to Cleveland was the first podcast episode I ever released. Exciting stuff. However, since it was my first rodeo in this pod world, I forgot to do that whole rate, review, subscribe, and give me five stars plug. So I'm going to do it now. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to follow along for more, please rate, review, subscribe, and give me five stars on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast. That would go a long way, and I'd really appreciate it. I'm going to try and remember to put that at the end of future episodes instead of the beginning. The second note of housekeeping was that last episode was a discussion around NFL futures. I just want to explain one thing about taking futures bets. Gambling theory states that if you are going to play any futures bets, you should place bets that are not counter-indicative of one another. Now, what the heck does that mean? Again, the premise of this show is to use gambling theory to help with betting the current odds. So let's explain this in practice. Tyler and I noted two long-shot teams that we liked to win the Super Bowl. They were the Eagles at 40-1 to and the Vikings at 36-1. to Full disclosure, I did go ahead and put two-tenths of a unit on the Eagles at 40-1 to odds. I like both of these bets, but the truth is you should only pick and choose one because they are counterindicative of each other. For a team to win the Super Bowl, you must have an NFC team playing against an AFC team. Thus, if you take two futures bets on two NFC teams, like the Eagles and Vikings, they actually may play each other in the playoffs before even reaching the Super Bowl. What you want to do is play only one of those bets, or one AFC team and one NFC team. If they happen to meet in the Super Bowl, one of those long shot tickets is guaranteed to win. If you have two NFC teams and they play each other in the playoffs, one ticket is eliminated and the other still isn't guaranteed to win. Overall, that would not be a bad spot to be in if you did have the Vikings 36 to 1 and the Eagles at 40 to 1 and they happen to meet in the playoffs. Like, you'll take it. But again, that's not smart bankroll management. And what we're doing here on the advantage is discussing this gambling theory to make the right plays. So I would advise against that. It would not be the right play to make. The right choice would be to choose one and hope for the best with one of those futures odds. All right. Today's episode, I'm going to be joined by my friend Austin, and we're going to shift focus to the NBA. We're going to be discussing the Eastern Conference and the final 10 games or so each team has before the playoffs. It's that time of year where seedings for playoff teams begin to look a bit more clear, and similarly, lottery odds for non-playoff teams become of extra importance. With that in mind, I want to quickly discuss how I'm playing the current situation of the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers have either the fifth or sixth worst record in the NBA, depending on the day you look. Today, it's March 21st, and they are tied for the fifth worst record with the Kings, with 25 wins on the season. Meanwhile, The Portland Trailblazers have 26 wins, and the Spurs, 27. If you understand the landscape of the NBA, you know the bottom four teams all have the best lottery odds at 14% chance at first pick. And then it slowly scales from there. The Indiana Pacers are a team that is not playing their best players in Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon. They are letting the young guys go, giving them all the experience they need, and honestly, the front office is probably hoping they lose. So let's look at their schedule. The Pacers have 10 remaining games. The next six are against teams that are actively trying to win. 
The Kings, they suck, but they're actively trying to win. The Grizzlies, the Raptors, Hawks, Nuggets, and Celtics. Those last five games that I mentioned between March 24th and April 1st, the Pacers are incentivized to lose, and they're playing against teams still fighting for playoff seeding and are incentivized to win. Fade the Pacers. In this situation, I'm playing the money line. I could tell you right now, the Pacers have 10 remaining games, and I will likely be taking the money line against them in every single game. The ones I cannot commit to right now are the home and home they play against the 76ers, because as I will discuss with Austin, I think the 76ers might also be ducking games late in the season as well. So, that will be at least eight of the last 10 games for the Indiana Pacers. I will promise you I will be playing the money line against them. All right, now that we've gotten through all that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to be joined by my favorite person in the world to talk hoops with. All right, welcome back. I'm now joined by my friend Austin. How you doing, A.V.? Thanks for being here. Mikey, thank you for having me. The last time we were talking hoops, we were talking Pirtle. You still playing? I love Poto. Uh, putting my useless fantasy basketball knowledge uh, to the test. But I, I actually bounce around. Um, so I do a Harry Potter Podal now, Wordle also. And, uh, and so it's whatever someone really is into, I'll, I'll do. That's, that's, that's legit. I, uh, I've kind of just stopped doing those games, but I find it was like, remember that game HQ back in the day with those like 10 yep. press, like live, I feel like it's one of those, like a huge fad right when it starts, then it ultimately dies down. I'm generally someone who lets it die down before the rest of people. Um, yeah, but I, I, having, I, I, I definitely I, like Pirtle. Do you call Pirtle or Podal? I, is that how you pronounce his name? You know, this is the problem when I spend most of my time reading basketball stuff online instead of talking to people. I thought it was Podal, Jakob Podal, the, the Spurs center. There's no was, R in there. I was told it was Pirtle, but yeah, no, there's definitely no R. There's definitely no R in his name. And I'm also told that he's a huge fan of the game. Oh, I didn't even th- I didn't even think about it. he's an icon yeah, because of this. Oh, I got there's a funny, there's a funny video the um, Spurs media put out that shows him playing Pirtle. Uh, oh, he's never gotten it wrong, but I'm not too surprised. He does use, he does use NBA rosters and he does check things and and he does whatever you need to cheat. So there, I mean, there are so many different ways to play it. If if you're like an NBA head and you're just trying to look at rosters and NBA players anyway and random facts, it's it's a great excuse. Something about the one a day thing is is addicting. I I find myself, eh, I don't really care. As soon as I get it, I'm like, oh come on, give me one more. I want to talk to people about it. Who'd you get today? I agree. As soon as I finish one, I'm like, all right, I want to do two or three more. And then, but the things yeah. I don't find myself always coming back to it. All right. Anyways, let's move on. Um, you're here today to talk some Eastern Conference. Most teams have about 10 games left before we get to the playoffs. So let's do like a little recap, final stretch of the season. Things we're looking for, things to look out for, what we're expecting to see in the early start of the playoffs. Um, straight fo- straight off the bat, let me ask you this question. Who's sure. the best team in the East? Oof, I mean, I was hoping you'd say the West because it's so much easier. The best team in the East... I want to say the Bucks because I feel like they have the least things up in the air. I know how good of a coach they are. I know what Jimmy can do in the playoffs, how deep their roster is. 
And you have teams like, obviously, everyone wants to talk about the Nets, who could be the best team in the league by a, mar- a wide margin, or they could just be, you know, another handful team in the East that's going to have to struggle to get out of that playing game. Um, so if you were asking me right now, number one, I'm going the Bucks. I'm actually happy you said that because you really could take that kind of question any direct. It's a loaded question, right? Like, well, are we talking about once they're healthy? Or are we talking about who's guys? Are we talking about the mandate and the vaccine? Is Kyrie allowed to play? All this, so on and so forth. The best exactly. team in the NBA, the best team in the East right now, because of the amount of question marks that are that are exist, is the Milwaukee Bucks, defending NBA championships, returning Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis looks fantastic. Brooke Lopez is coming back. He looks good. Um, the one thing I didn't like that the Bucks did, I really was not a fan of that Ibaka DiVincenzo trade. How'd you feel about that? Well, at the time, I thought it wasn't bad because Grayson Allen was playing so well. Pat Connaughton was playing well. And then Dante's coming back, used to being the starter. He doesn't want to pencil into these, you know, third white guy shooting guard rotation minutes. I, I thought it was probably because they felt they had uh, a glut there and and DiVincenzo wasn't having it but then look what happens uh Pat gets hurt Grayson Allen has hasn't played as well since he he uh took out Caruso in the air and he's been getting trashed by the league and now you need DiVincenzo so hindsight's 2020 I wouldn't have made the trade but at, uh, on the other end of that what is Ibaka doing for you I, I, I he's too old absolutely Maybe, not. I, think, right? I think Ibaka was some Brooke Lopez insurance but at the time that the trade was made, there was so much positive news coming out of Milwaukee that Lopez would be okay, that he was progressing really well. I mean, he's he's back. He's been back for a few games, and the guy looks yeah. nice. Like he looks like he's ready to be out there. He looks enthused. He's he's happy again. He's playing with the boys. Um, on the other hand, like I would have just waited to the off season to deal Divincenzo, even if he's unhappy in his role. He still fills a role that's more needed to help this team win the finals this year than Ibaka did, and for that reason, and you also you'll hear all these things that players can get increased value in the offseason because the picks are established at their numbers, so you actually know what pick you're trading for, and then who you can then prospect to get in the upcoming NBA draft. That I was like, I, it made no sense to me at the time. I mean, I'm not going to question the Bucks organization; they're coming off an NBA championship, but I would not have done that. I would have stuck with Dante for a bit. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a great point. The The only thing that I would bring up is a lot of times I do find that there are these midseason trades that are more playoff geared and you'll you'll get a big or, or an experienced vet who looks like they can't walk during the regular season. And then you get to the playoffs. It's this half court thing. They know what they're doing. The refs respect them and their foul calls and they can contribute a little. I, I don't think that's the case with Ibaka. I'd still take DiVincenzo. Is, is Andre Iguodala the textbook example of what you're talking about as a guy who might just absolutely shelled during the regular season and comes alive in the postseason the ultimate the ultimate it's 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 almost along the lines of what draymond green had a little bit whereas if it really doesn't matter they just can't get up for it and and the the level of basketball iq is is so high that if they feel like there's a challenge and it's playoff time they're going to come ready. Uh, I, I do like Andre Iguodala on pretty much any NBA playoff roster as long as he can walk. All right, let's bring this back to the East. You trust Philly? Ooh, Philly's another interesting one. I trust that they have the talent to make any series interesting. I trust that Harden 
is going to be better than than people think because he just gets it's so much so much hate. People don't like his game. He doesn't do a lot to help with that. I I don't know what they can do in a playoff series. Obviously, I'm hesitant about Doc. I'm hesitant about the bench rotation. If if there's stuff going on in the background and Tobias Harris is unhappy with his role, not playing well, stuff like that, that all matters. Um, but I, I like Philly. I like Philly in the East. There are so many good teams that I'm not going to sit here and say they're the best. They can take anyone. But, again, the teams we just talked about, the Bucks, the Nets, Philly can hang. Okay. I want to let's, – let's get into this Philadelphia situation because there's quite a dichotomy between – the two teams we've seen, both of them being the Philadelphia 76ers, post-James Harden trade. We had that first, what, three or four games. I think they played yep. the Timberwolves twice, the Knicks once. Yep. Um, so that helps. Fantastic. I remember, from a betting perspective, I was smashing the over on their team total because Embiid and Harden get to the line 45 times a game. And exactly. it was going to take a, a minute to adjust to how, just how slow the game was going to be played because the time was going to be stopped all the time and they're going to be scoring when the there's no game clock going. Yep. But, talk. I mean, I've seen this now second version of the Philadelphia 76ers when they've started playing the likes of some good teams. I think the best win they have since Harden has joined the team has been against Cleveland. Um, I know they've lost to Brooklyn. I know they've lost to Miami. I know they've lost to Denver. Um, I've watched those more those games against more competitive teams. And Austin, I'm seeing a product, that, or a team that I'm just, I want to stay away from at all costs. I don't see this coming together. I see this as a tragic situation in Philadelphia. Do you want to, do you want me to explain why I think this cannot work? I was going to say, me? no, no, you go. Give me, what's their biggest problem? Shooting. I mean, it, it, it's, it's very clearly the combination of, of pace and shooting. I mean, we had this, the game against Denver is a perfect example. They It was the battle of the MVPs, Jokic versus Embiid, in Philadelphia. They had just lost to the Nets with, with the big Harden, Ben Simmons return to Philadelphia game. Big game James certainly didn't show up. He was icing his calves at the end in the fourth quarter. Um, and I thought, okay, this is the spot. 76ers are home. They're motivated. Embiid wants this MVP. They're the better team. They have a much better supporting cast. Let's let's see them lay the smack down on the Denver Nuggets. They were two and a half point favorites, and I took it in that game. Lo and behold, they got worked. And I mean, they, they actually were, were leading for a big portion of the game, but when the game got into the thick of things in the fourth quarter, this team slowed down, and they were playing, they were really, really relying on Georgia Sniang as their <laughs> secondary creator and and shot maker i mean this the, this guy had the ball for four of the last five possessions of the game he's shooting threes and i'm just at the point where like their shooting uh, besides harden is revolving around furkan's Korkmaz, an injured mm-hmm. danny who Green. can shoot who yeah, can oh, shoot Korkmaz got a great shot but he's completely <laughs> yep. out of the rotation but yeah he's been out of the rotation um danny green who's been hurt and Niang, who's been in the rotation, but I don't think he's a knockdown shooter that could be relied upon in a big playoff spot. So I'm just seeing all these kind of empty bodies around Harden and Embiid. And I just think this league is too deep. Like, we have so much talent right now. We have so many guys that want it. We have so many amazing role players. And I don't think Philadelphia has those guys around their big pieces. 
I I mean, I'm seeing what you're saying with with Niang. It's hard to see a player who you're not excited about like that get, you know, not role player minutes, but 30 plus minutes, crunch time minutes on, on a real contending team. I just think that the teams with that are so top heavy teams that are going to have two generational talents like an Embiid and a Harden are just going to have to make some sacrifices elsewhere. I don't hate George's Niang's game. He hits the corner three. He plays defense. He seemed like a cool guy on Duncan Robinson's podcast. I would I would grab a beer with him. Seems like a homie. And I and I don't feel like that's all of their shooting. Danny Green, we talked about when he comes back. Matisse, who I used to think of as someone who you could almost Ben Simmons and leave him alone, is 50-40-90 since the trade on low volume that I'll gloss over. But I, I, I think that on any given night, if, if you're empowering your role players there in Philly, they feel good. They're on the same page with Doc. And they, they feel like Embiid and, and Harden are rolling and they're getting more open shots. They could do it. But it's, it's not so much the case where I feel like they're go- going to get wide open shot after wide open shot like they did in those first three, four games. I, I'm with you that I think the first three, four games are more the surprise than kind of the, the correction afterwards. I, I couldn't believe how they took off running after that trade. Their offense looked great. They looked outstanding. I mean, yeah. my question right now is, is given their dip, like what's – What's Tobias Harris's role on this team? Like, what is his what is his ideal role? Like, what is the perfect role that he could fill for them to be a successful team? Is my question because I think he's. I mean, can I give you my I'm, quick uh, Tobias take? Yeah, before we get yeah, it? go ahead. To me, the guy's been I call him translucent Tobias because sometimes he just yeah. goes absolutely invisible. But like, my big thing is this: I kind of think Tobias has had this shield of Ben Simmons being there in the past, and now James Harden being there. As like, this guy gets paid $30 million and he also doesn't show up. He's just had bigger names around him of people who also make that max contract and who are expected to do a little bit more who show up even less. But like, Tobias is is never there when it matters. I mean, he's a solid 18 and 6 guy, 18 points, 6 rebounds a game, good good efficiency, some some mid-range pull-ups, can hit a 3, can take it to the hoop in games that don't really matter. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. It's it's funny as you're saying that, I'm thinking back to the days when he was the, the number one option in in, uh, in Los Angeles with the Clippers. Yeah. And it was like, how? It wasn't, granted, that wasn't, you know, a finals contending Clipper team. But it's not that I can't imagine him being a good player. I can't imagine giving him the ball and saying, you're our number one option to go create. That, that would be a nightmare. I it's it's crazy because in my mind the the role that's better for him is the third piece on a team where you know you're feeling it go ahead get to your spots in the mid-range. You're not you're going to get more open shots. You're a good body, you know you should be able to defend kind of that 2-3-4 position where you can you can play him a little bigger if you have to as he get older. I don't understand. The only the only thing that I can even um, that I can even come up with is that they just keep asking him to change his role every year, every four months, every six months, and he just hasn't settled into anything. When he first came, he was asked to do more scoring. They brought Jimmy Buckets in and Jimmy Alfred him out the way. They took Jimmy away and Ben Simmons couldn't shoot and then they had to come back. Now they bring Harden back in. I, I don't know because I, I haven't seen the role that works for him. This isn't it. Was Doc his coach in L.A. when he was 
Crushed oh, it on the it's Clippers. a great question. It's a great question. Did they full circle with Doc? It almost had to be, right? Because who? Cause now I want to transition. Yeah. Because yeah, it's almost like Doc was the coach that got the most out of him. If if yeah. if he was. Let's let's look that up real quick. Um, hold on, I'll look it up. Yeah, let's look it up. We can we can always fast forward this bad boy, right? Yeah. Did Tobias coach? Yes, he did. He did. There you go. Yeah, so so Doc Rivers was the coach of Tobias Harris when he got the best time of his career, and now they're come again, like you said, come full circle to being together in Philadelphia, and it's just not working. So let's kind of transition this to: Is this a coaching problem? Is this a Doc Rivers problem? Oh man, Doc Doc is one of the hardest uh, coach coaching talents to assess. He made that top top uh, what was it top twenty top twenty five ever coaching list, right? I think, I think he, he did. did. They they yeah. just released that list. I think he was on there, and I think he was the most controversial. I as as teams started to to move towards that, you know, you you need a super team model, and he was the first successful super team. Co- eh, maybe Phil Jackson, the first successful super team coach in Boston, coaching that team. We realized how important it is to manage egos, to have the coaches like you, to be a real one, but also a coach, and and be able to manage both. And I think that he is incredible at doing that. And you, you can't gloss over that, that so many players have said that he's a father figure to them, <laughs> he's so close with them. That being said, you know, when I think of, when I think of like a, a playoff mind and a great coach that I want, I think of, you know, that, that uh, Celtics-Milwaukee series where I thought Brad, it was maybe four or five years ago, I think it went to seven. There were a couple uh, overtime games, incredible series. Um, where I think of Brad Stevens having the most incredible ATOs, the, the best after timeout plays that I had ever seen. In every clutch moment, it was like a wizard was playing chess. And and I know that it's important to manage egos, and Doc does that, and and uh, I don't want to discount that. Um, or or his place in history as, as one of the best coaches of all time, because he's been on some really all-time teams. I, I still don't think of him as that... Um, that that Brad Stevens level genius, that that Spo level, where I see Spo changing between his his man, his zone, his trap in the middle of games, and it's like you're seeing this guy for seven straight games, and he's messing with you on defense. You don't know what's coming. That's incredible. I I don't think of Doc as being uh, that kind of coach. What about you? I think Doc has proven himself to not be a great seven game series coach. Um, I even look back to who's currently in LA and who was his understudy in Boston in Ty Lu as yeah. the absolute the adjustments master. coach. And yeah. he was and he they were together when they won the the finals and they were together when Doc had all his success in LA being the understudy with that those Clippers teams. Actually no, no, cuz Ty was with the Ty was with the Cavs then. But he did go to the Clippers and he was with the Clippers for a bit. But yes, yeah, so, I mean like Ty Lue, you saw it last year in the playoffs. I mean, he was just working the the Jazz with his rotations, yep. going mm-hmm. small, taking Rudy Gobert out of the paint, pulling him essentially off the floor. I mean, Ty Lue was a fantastic X's and O's coach. Doc is has some of the most checkered playoff history. I think what he has the most ever being being up three one and collapsing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's that's such a good comparison, and I, I would I could talk about the the Doc Rivers Ty Lue thing all night with you if you want. I mean, the the biggest thing that those 
two coaches that gets talked about about those two coaches is their adjustments. People kill Doc for not making adjustments in a seven-game series, like you said. And people just just praise Ty Lue as not only making great adjustments in a series, as making great adjustments in the middle of a regular season game. This is the adjustments coach. And I think it's it's just good and important to talk about because I think a lot of times when you get people talking about NBA coaches, there is this this background spoken or unspoken conversation that it's like, oh, you know, the the Doc Rivers, the Ty Lues, the black coaches are the players' coaches because black players like them. And the Brad Stevens, this white guy, is just a genius because he has that. And that's not what's going on. Ty Lue is a genius. You hear people talking about him masterminding pickup games back when he was on the Wizards in D.C. and just hustling people with his brain. So I, I love the Ty Lue bring up. And I think for that reason... Maybe Doc wasn't the best option in Philly. I I don't I know maybe Maury's guy, but maybe maybe D'Antoni next year is that even possible? I was gonna say okay, so you're already getting on to that point where we're replacing Doc. What does it take this <laughs> season? What does it take this season for Doc to keep his job? Oh, I, the expectations are so high. So barring a situation where there's an injury or something happens that's outside of his control. I think if you don't get to the conference finals, he's on the hot seat. I, I know that that Ben Simmons is the scapegoat for the 76ers last year in the playoffs, and for good reason. But I will never forget listening to that Doc Rivers postgame interview, and, them at, and they asked him, can you win a championship with this, with this kind of point guard, Ben Simmons? And his I don't know was so disrespectful and depressing and – and I don't know, I, I think of Doc as almost being like the the Tom Hanks, Denzel dad of the league, where it's like, like at t- in times of need, I, I'm where's Ja? Where's Doc? I need answers. And he just wasn't ready that one time, and it'll come back to bite him, I think. I, so my answer is, you don't make the Eastern Conference Finals, you're gone. I agree. I, I take it a step further. I, I think if Philadelphia 76ers don't make the finals, he's gone. I think Maury wow. kind of realizes also that he's not the right coach for this team. Um, <laughs> I think Embiid and all the players have publicly supported him the whole season. But I mm-hmm. you just have to watch the games to realize that this team doesn't necessarily play with the pace that they need to to keep up with some of the other. My biggest thing, Austin, is they don't even play with different styles. They were bringing in Drummond as kind of that let's run the same kind of offense with Embiid so that it all kind of looks the same. What I would rather do is throw Paul Reed or even throw Tobias at the five. Maybe you have this death lineup where you have Tobias at the five when Embiid comes off the floor and it's just a completely different look that teams need to prepare for. You give them multiple looks. They were just, 76ers were just rolling out the same thing and banking on their consistency, which is great in the regular season, but it stalls out in the playoffs. And it yeah, has in the past, and it, I think it is going to again this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. I think one of the issues, uh, one of the issues there is that with with Doc, he lacks creativity, and that's that's what you're talking about. And and Maury is, you know, this creative GM from the future. D'Antoni is this creative offensive mind. Is that the combination? One thing I will say though is people used to tell D'Antoni all the time it's oh the seven seconds or or less offense is a regular season thing he's not a great playoff 
uh, coach or adjuster. Is is it a, a given that it, if if Doc is out, that D'Antoni is in and and not someone else? Is D'Antoni an assistant there this year? I know he's not with Brooklyn right now. I don't think he is. I why think you, I think why, he's. Why are you throwing out the D'Antoni name? I'm throwing out the D'Antoni name because I think of Maury and D'Antoni in Houston as sort of revolutionizing basketball a little bit. I know Maury thinks of himself as, you know, they have this pairing. A lot of times when people come up together like that and they think of themselves as sort of geniusy and they found each other, they just can't stop going back to the well. And I don't know if that's what's happening. I'm, I'm they also definitely got the most out of James. And Harding, but I for don't, sure, for sure. I don't think that Embiid's play style and D'Antoni's coaching style mesh at all. And for those reasons, I would, I would bet that it's not D'Antoni. I don't know who the name mm-hmm. would be, but I don't think the fit with D'Antoni would specifically work. But again, I just think that, you know, going back to it, I don't think it's Doc for this team. Um, yeah. Let's I mean, it wasn't Brett Brooklyn. Brown either. It's it's tough. It's you know when I and I know you want to go over to Brooklyn. Give me give me half a second here. I I think about the the drop off in coaching in our league, and and I feel like you know there are what are there there are thirty two coaches or whatever thirty coaches or whatever, but there's a hundred tiers because the drop off between some of these top coaches and some of the the newer guys is it's it's night and day, and and so. You know, for that reason, I think that Miami gets slept on because Spo knows what's up. Um, I think for that reason, um, there there are teams in the West like Golden State that could take advantage of the teams who are coming up, like the Memphises, who I'm. Um, I think Taylor Jenkins is their coach. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like you and I could talk about each of the top coaches individually in this league for hours, for hours. They're so interesting. We spend time studying them off this, off the court stories and the bottom tier coaches. We barely know their names. Uh, it's, it's night and day. I actually kind of disagree with that. I think we've gotten to the point where the league almost has 30 good coaches. I, th- I think when you're looking at, honestly, I think Tibbs is going to be one of the bottom tier coaches now. Like, I would put, I was just listening to a, a John Hollinger talk of, of a week ago or so, and he was doing the coach rankings thing, and he had like Dagnalt, the the guy in OKC at like 27, but was really praising him, and has like JB Bickerstaff of Cleveland at like 23. It's just like I actually think there's a lot of deep coaches. Um, one coach who I'm not a fan of, another coach yeah. besides Doc Rivers, uh, I'm not a fan of Steve Nash. I don't yeah. think proven <laughs> anything. Um, maybe to, to be a, to be an ego guy and to get along with everyone in the room. What I think we've really seen is that he's KD's guy. Like he's someone who created a relationship with Durant when they were in Golden State together and he has Durant's goodwill ever since. But I mean, there's been rumblings recently of some Jacques Vaughn, Steve Nash tension, um, and, and Vaughn trying to usurp the job mid season. Um, there's been, all this turmoil in Brooklyn. I mean, do, do we want to just discuss Brooklyn as a whole? I don't think we really need to discuss Nash's sets individually. Let me throw you my Brooklyn yeah. question, Austin. Yeah, let's let's do Brooklyn. All right, I wrote, Brooklyn is the favorite in the East. It's true. They're like a plus 255 right now or something on FanDuel to win, to win the East. Okay. I'm going to pull it up right now. Brooklyn, plus 280 today. They were plus 255 a day or two ago. Plus 280 to win the East. They are the favorites as they currently sit in the eight seed and have to face a play-in game where they might not even make the playoffs. <laughs> I so mean, Brooklyn I can't is- keep a straight face while you say that. It's, it's insane. 
Cool. Let me finish the question. I think these odds <laughs> reflect that Ben and Kyrie are playing both home and away, correct? So what we found out today, Ben is likely done for the season, herniated disc. They said that they hold out hope maybe in the playoffs, but it's, I, I'm, I'm putting Ben Simmons at sub 25% to play. And in terms of the, the, the home and away for Kyrie, I think that stays. You know, I anytime you you come up with rules for like an entire population and, and try and, and fit that, it, there's always going to be smaller subsets that it doesn't fit for. And it, it just feels super illogical that, you know, Kyrie can roll through on the bench with, with no mask and, and then not be able to play the next day. Um, but I don't think this changes. I, I don't think that, you know, Eric Adams is, is listening to KD's uh, comments about him in these postgame presser and, and getting too upset. Um, I, I, I don't think that changes. Why? You, you think that's what the line says? I mean, I know the, I know the line has to reflect because the current construction of the Nets has shown mm-hmm. to be an eight seed. If we're going to play half games Kyrie and on and off, you know, often injured Kevin Durant, he's healthy right now. Knock on wood. I hope that man stays healthy forever. He's an absolute pleasure to watch play the game. Um, and then Ben Simmons not playing. That that's a that's a bottom half of the Eastern playoff conference team. Like that's that's not a title contending team anymore. I know KD's the best player on the planet, but he's gonna go go against teams that are completely game planning around him, where he's having Kyrie only on the road, and then he's relying on the likes of Seth Curry and Patty Mills. Joe Harris seems done for the year. I agree. I think Ben Simmons seems to be done for the year. I do not think they're gonna be bringing Ben Simmons back for his first game in since his disastrous last playoffs again in the playoffs they're going to give him a whole season next season they're going to they're going to wait for next season the nets historically have been incredibly patient with their injuries under the Sean Marks regime um you know anytime Durant or Kyrie is a little banged up they wait they wait they wait they get him fully healthy and i think it's going to be the same thing with Ben i don't think i know the odds austin reflect that they think that they're the fa- they're the favorites to win the finals right now. I mean, why is that? Why could that possibly be to you? Uh, KD being the best player in the world is one. And then I think what, what people could be going off of is last year, they lose Harden, okay. They still look like the best team with just Kyrie and KD. The best team in the East, in the West, in the entire league. Then they lose Kyrie and they almost very, very close. What was it? An inch on the line very close to beating the team that wins it all. So I think people are saying everything goes wrong and we only have KD, they still have a shot. We get part-time Kyrie, we win those games. We get full-time Kyrie, it's over, and you bake all that in. I, I don't agree. I, I, I think that the biggest reason that I don't like those odds isn't as much because there's so much up in the air with Brooklyn, which is a big part of it, but because the East is so good. This isn't a situation where you're going to get a couple freebie series in here, um, any given night, you're, you're going to get any given night. And whoever you see in one of these series, they're going to be ready. I, we haven't touched on some of these teams in, in the East. So uh, it's, it's, let's, let's go to the other side of this because if, if the people think that the Nets are going to win, the, the stat people, uh, I mean, if, if, if the fans think the Nets are going to win, the stat people have the Celtics right now. I, I don't know how much stock you put into these ELO and Raptor ratings, but 538 has the Celtics as the, the outright favorite to win, not just the East, but the NBA. Uh, so, so, and they were, what, the, the sixth seed uh, a week ago? They're the fourth seed and climbing now, playing the best defense in the NBA. I look at the standings, and it's the Heat, 
legitimate contenders. Bucks, legitimate contenders. Sixers, legitimate contenders. Celtics, Bulls, I loved, but I'll stop there. Nets, obviously contenders if they're the if they're the favorites betting wise. That's five teams that you think can win the whole league in one conference. That it's too hard to get through everyone with so much up in the air. I I am almost sure that you're going to come down on the same side as me here that that the Nets are not the outright favorite, but I got to hear it from you. I do not think the Nets are the outright favorite. I think Good. that they're plus 280 in this mark. I don't know. I almost think, Austin, from a betting perspective and just taking this away from the court for a second, I think that the Nets have been such public favorites since last season ended that they took in a lot of money throughout the offseason and early into the start of the season when the whole talk was Kyrie's eventually going to get the vaccine, James's hamstring's going to be fine. But then they were winning a lot of games early in the season. I think they were like the one or the two seed yeah. in December when they were when they were rolling with half a Kyrie and uh, no Kyrie and on and off Harden and, and Durant. Here's my thought. I think they took so much money then that it is inflating the odds currently. I think the odds... If we were to wipe the, the books clean, I think the odds would drop, but I think the odds are not dropping right now because books are scared to take on more money on the nets for more potential payouts. So if they if the odds were to jump to play me a plus 500, which is where I think they should be reflected, if people did get in on that and now the nets ended up winning, they're paying these five to one odds as well as this whole year. Of, of favorites odds that they've been loading up on. So I think it's a little bit inflated just because these books might have too much exposure on the nets and they don't want to, mm-hmm. they don't want to change the odds because it might skew their exposure. Now, knowing this, I think that's where we could say, all right, now let's, let's, let's fiddle around and try and find the right value on the right team. Because if Brooklyn is skewed, that means someone else is deflated somewhere else. Right. Exactly. So now let's talk about this. My question to you, you say you, you were talking up Spo. You talk about the Heat as a contender. As someone who watches the odds very closely and as someone who reads the lines, I'll tell you this, Austin. Vegas yeah. has had no faith in Miami all season long, and they continue. The odds show that Vegas believes Miami has no chance to win. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, I mean, no chance. A hundred percent disagree. Obviously, it's it's nuanced. I'm just pulling up there. They're five thirty eight now. It looks like in in both Elo and Raptor, they're one, two, three, four, fifth overall. So, stats believe in them. The eye test. I know the eye test supports them. I I watch them play harder in the regular season than I see some teams in the playoffs. It's it's kind of crazy. I absolutely think that they have a chance. You have a star like Jimmy who can not only take over and you give the ball to and you get out of his way, but mentally can take over in the locker room and those timeouts, get everyone on the same page. I know it's trendy to talk about heat culture, but heat culture matters. They, they all really believe in it. They think they have some, you know, Spoh's secret stuff, Pat Riley's secret stuff. They think that they have something extra and that matters. They believe in themselves. They're legitimately in better shape than most teams when it comes playoff time. We talked about Spo, so I won't I won't spend too much time uh, praising him, but I, I really, really believe in Spo, especially in the playoffs. Some of my favorite um, head-to-head coaching battles in the East have been the Spo Brad Stevens, the Spo Nurse Nick battles. I, yeah. yep. Nick, exactly. So I loved that series. Fantastic. That was such a yeah. good series. Fantastic. I mean, that's that's why I'm not counting 
the Raptors out either. I, I think the Raptors talent wise are such a big step below all these teams, but who knows what Nick Nurse can come up with? He, he'll have his team playing so free in the playoff thing in, in the playoffs. If you're if you're nervous and, and you have an injury or anything's not going right, good luck running into the Raptors. That that could be a problem too. But to go back to the Heat, I absolutely think they have a chance. They're being slept on because they're not as sexy as a team like the Nets, but they, they can play and they got a great coach. Let me give you my few insights into where I see some pitfalls in the Heat and try and counter them. Okay. But yeah, let's go one by one. Yeah, there's this concept um, with a lot of Chris Paul-led teams that they play so hard in the regular season that by the time they get to the playoffs, there's no next year for them to go to. There's no, they try and win every game. So like, this is what you're getting. And at this, and at going from the regular season to the playoffs, it stays at that same level when every other team makes this leap. You know, they go a little extra harder. They, they fight a little more. Do you believe that to be true for the Heat, for a Lowry-led team? Does, can this team get to another level or are they playing at their max level because of that heat culture and how intense they take the regular season as is it's uh, it's absolutely a fact and you hear you hear players when they go on other podcasts and in interviews talk about what it's like playing the heat in the regular season they talk about teams like the jazz in the regular season that there are levels to this shit and and there are some teams that prepare harder that come harder in the regular season regular season and the, the heat are one of those teams but they, they'll they'll step it up to another level. They they have guys on this team that know how culturally to get people ready. It, but you're right, it won't be as big of a jump. I think that speaks more to how much better they are during the regular season more than you know their inability to lock it down and be ready for the postseason. Because I do think that a lot of what they do lends itself to the postseason. They're an incredibly physical team. That helps in the postseason. They have the the veterans, the clutch guys, the the Jimmy Butlers, the Lowrys. That helps in the postseason, and then they they're in incredible shape. So even if they're not going to take that jump effort wise, they're going to be better than most teams endurance wise. The Heat, you know, like you said, they have a lot of benefits to their postseason. The way they play benefits them a lot in the postseason. One thing that has me a little bit concerned is their half court offense. Do you think they have a good enough half-court offense? Can they score enough to keep up with some of these other teams? Like like we talked about Philly. Like they're going to get to the line 30 times. Can a team like Miami keep up with that? Do they have the shooting? Do they have the pace? And do they have the reliability of a half-court offense to keep up? Yeah, I I think that, again, the playoffs slow it down. Not No fast breaks. Fouling will help them keep up, but they, they won't be able to offensively. They're going to have to change the game and, and defend better. I, I, I'll take it to the other side, too. I don't think that right now Philly is defending on the level um, that, that Spo and the Heat are and, and what they can do with matchups. And in the playoffs, it's so, it's so important to be able to have a big who can play multiple coverages, deal with pick and rolls, bam. Bam and, and AD, I put him in that same category as like the perfect playoff bigs to, to defend there. I, I love Embiid's defense. I think that when he's trying, he plays, uh, he really changes what you can do in terms of, of funneling guards to him. But I, I don't think he's quite as versatile as a Bam. I, I think that defensively, the gap between the Heat and the Sixers is as big as the offensive gap between those two teams. So as much as I'm not excited about seeing Kyle Lowry put that booty on someone in the half court, I, I think that will be all right. Just for stats, guys, um, the Heat do have the eighth best scoring offense in the East. So they're kind of like at that bottom tier team for an Eastern team. 
they get passed by uh, the Hornets and pretty, you know, a lot of, let me see. I, I think that goes to our point, though, that part of why the Heat aren't getting that love is because they're not a sexy team. They're not in, in the media narrative as much. And so you and I both would have said they're, they're a bottom half of the league offense and they're top eight in the East. And so I, I think narrative plays a big, a big role. And they could sneak in here just because they don't have that Brooklyn thing. Yeah, I'm actually kind of going the other way, Austin. I don't see the Heat as having it this year. I kind of think that... I don't really trust P.J. Tucker in big playoff minutes without having a guy like Giannis next to him. Um, I don't really believe Duncan Robinson has had a great year, and I and I think their half-court offense is going to be really limited. I'm, again, like, would I ever bet against the Heat? Mm, no, that's going to be really tough to do, but I'm certainly not putting my money on the Heat. Like, they're, they're a plus 480 they're again behind mm-hmm. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, but ahead of the Celtics and the Bulls on FanDuel for their to make the finals wow. for their odds. The Celtics the is East. where this money is, my man. I mean, I, I know I'm bouncing around over here as you make good points about the East, but the the way the, that the Celtics have been playing defensively, the run that they're on, the way that these rating systems love them, and then betting wise, they're below four or five teams in the East, including a team that's going to have to play. The playing game, and we don't even know who's going to be there. I, I like the Celtics. I not not you know to run away with this, but based on what their odds are, I mean, it feels like it's a gimmick. All right, well let's let let's talk about Boston. Um, for you guys who don't know where I am right now, I'm about 20 minutes away from the TD Garden. I live in Boston, so it would be great if the Celtics could bring one home. Um, I actually so Austin, I have two futures bets in the in on the East right now. At the beginning of the season, I took Milwaukee. Um, nice. I, it was like it was like beginning middle ish of the season when they had lost, I think, five in a row, um, and and the Nets were looking great. And I was just, I knew I was like, Milwaukee's going to be a juggernaut in the playoffs, and these val- this value is too good right now. And then, sort of in late December, early January, I put a little bit of money on the Celtics too. I mean, I it, it was late in December. I saw what they were doing in terms of their switches and defensively. Austin, have you seen kind of how they're setting up their defense? Do you want me to explain what they're doing? Do you feel confident? Oh, feel feel free to break it down. I'll jump in by saying Time Lord is the truth. And as much as I try and avoid watching Celtics games because I'm not a Boston guy, having Jalen Brown and Robert Williams on my fantasy team changed that. And I love the way he helps. Please, please break down what's made them the number one defense. Okay, so what Ime Adoka, the coach of the Boston Celtics, has done is he's taken uh, Robert Williams, Time Lord, as mm-hmm. Austin calls him. Uh, he's given the name Time Lord because when he was a rookie, he missed a phone call, he missed a flight, he missed a press conference, and he just could never get his time straight. Uh, so they called him the Time Lord. Anyways, he um, he's their center. However, defensively, they have him in the dunker spot. They have him guarding the guy in the dunker spot and they're putting out Horford, who plays their four. I mean, they're, they're interchangeable bigs. Um, Horford has a little bit more perimeter range, and Williams has a little bit more interior defense and rim protection to his game. So what they've done is they put Horford to guard the initial pick and roll, and then once the roll man goes, that's when Williams slides over from the dunker spot, gets his ass in the paint, 
and is an elite rim protector. And the way that they slide and switch on everything, especially since bringing in Derek White at the deadline, which was fantastic trade for them because he's kind of like Love it. secondary Marcus Smart for them. They have these guys who can switch everywhere. They're rotating so quickly, and their Time Lord is just crashing into the paint. He's what he's the one thing that he's done really well to improve his game is he's not fouling nearly as much. And yes. he is such a good rim protector. Horford becomes an amazing help defender. Everyone else is running to 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 close out on the wings. And this the whole system is just flawless. What they were trying to do this for a few months before it started working in January, and they just didn't get the communication down. And then finally it snapped. Like they've been playing together for long enough. We're like, okay. The, the kind of body language communication started to fall into place. And now these guys get it. And the way that they're playing defense, they are locking guys down. They're playing with pride. And they are very happy when they hold people under 100, which is something you do not see in today's NBA. Uh, that matters. I mean, you make such a good point with, with Robert being able to stay down on those pump fakes. I, I got to think some of that is bringing a veteran like Al Horford back into the locker room because he was... Robert Williams last year was the kind of guy who was putting up crazy counting stats, especially defensively on 20 minutes a game, thinking, wow, if we can get this guy not to foul four times in 20 minutes and, and get some, some burn under him, he could make a real difference. The, the combo with Al Horford is great. Um, I didn't think it would work. I, I didn't think Al Horford had anything left in the tank. I was wrong. Between his brain and, and Robert Williams' body, they make one sort of Megatron front court back there um but i yeah it's it's a great point in terms of how they're able to use robert and and al together there yeah we we saw um Embiid share the floor with al horford a few seasons ago in philadelphia and Embiid also Disaster. being one of the best rim protectors in the nba the same skill set as rob williams on the defensive end and it just completely didn't work so credit to the celtics doka yeah. and their coaching staff for figuring out how to make it work and and teaching time lord coaching him up to being one of those yeah. He's in the Defensive Player of the Year running. I mean, he's not going to win it, but he's going to be on the top five ballot. He should be. I think he and Michael Bridges should should go get a little bit higher in that conversation. Um, but I know that they're not too concerned about it. I I heard uh, Marcus Mark get interviewed after the other game. He seems like he's pretty pretty comfortable in his defensive self these days. All right, so we've talked about Miami. We've talked about Boston. We've talked about Milwaukee. We've talked about the Nets. We've talked about the 76ers. There's three more teams that will make the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, one of them seems to definitely be the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, should we touch on the Cavs this season? They've been one of the best surprises. However, I feel bad, man. Yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, go on. Yeah, no, take it, man. Uh, I, I would love to jump in and say that the Cavs have had an incredible year that I love what Darius Garland is doing, that I can't wait to see them in the playoffs. The The post-LeBron recovery is amazing. But it's like you almost have to take them out of the conversation. They're not the same team with Jared Allen. And they're going to be a team that that playoff teams, good, legitimate, contending playoff teams, are, are going to hunt for their seeding. So beyond kind of how do we get to play the Cavs, I don't think they're that interesting to talk about. I don't think they can win. All right, well, let's talk about them from a betting perspective. Then. Are they a first round out no matter who they play in the East? Yes, because they have to play one of those top five teams, right? I, I mean, right now they're in the sixth spot. So right now they're either getting the Sixers or the Celtics. I mean, do we have to talk about that? Let's say the Bucks slide down. Let's say the Bulls slide up, who I think people have a tier or two below 
those top four teams. The Bulls are a much better team than the Cavs. I, I, I feel bad they lost Jared Allen, um, and I don't want to slander them too much beyond that because they had an incredible regular season, and they outkicked their coverage more than anybody in the league this year. I actually think it is kind of important to, to talk about who those first-round series might be. Um, obviously, whoever it is, we're going to take them in the series if we were betting. But I, the, where there is value in this right now, Austin, is deciding which of these teams might play them in the first round and jumping on that team's future. Yeah. Uh, so, I've been so anti-Philadelphia, and I'm certainly not advocating that anyone go put money on Philadelphia right now. But I do think inevitably it is going to be the Philadelphia 76ers that duck from this two three, uh, duck from this two seed and try and get themselves in the three or the four seed. I think they want to avoid Brooklyn at all costs. I think they want Cleveland or Chicago in the first round, and I think they are willing to do whatever it takes to avoid that. I will be looking and I will be watching the standings very close down the stretch and betting against the Sixers on the money line on the games where I think they might need to lose a little bit. Currently, they sit, what, one game behind the Milwaukee Bucks for third? Just keep an eye on those standings. The Philadelphia 76ers have no interest in passing the Celtics or the Bucks. There's been rumblings out of Philadelphia that the players themselves are watching the seating. So keep that in mind as not something to bet in terms of a future, but as something that you can bet in these final 10 games to fade the Philadelphia 76ers. If there's ever a spot where they are, if they win, they catch the Celtics, or if they win, they catch the Bucks. they're not going to do that. So bet against yeah. them in those spots. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, a, I think it's a really interesting time of the year to bet on the NBA because most of the year you're thinking, okay, both of these teams want to win really bad. Which team is better and more likely to win? And then at the end of the year, you have all of these competing interests. Who's tanking for draft picks? Who, who wants to win outright? Who wants to win but not win too much and get to this seeding? There's so much going on that if you can track that and pay attention, there, there are so many people that are, are not and are only paying attention to you know, who, who's the better team or even, you know, who's who's trying to win. The Something I would say here is that I sort of think the Celtics have the ability to get into that third spot and control their own destiny. So right now I'm looking at the standings. Celtics are uh, three and a half games back, same as the 76ers, but I guess that they must lose the head-to-head for the 76ers. As well as the Celtics are playing, I haven't looked at their, their next 10 matchups, and I really should, but as well as the Celtics are playing – you got to imagine that if there is any ability to control your seating and if you're choosing to win the games you need to win and throw in the games that you may be able to throw, the Celtics have, have the ability to, to win all those games and then get to the point where they can throttle a little, little bit. One thing I will, I will say quickly is I always thought, you know, because my eighth grade basketball coach would tell us, don't worry about seedings, just try and win the game, blah, 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 that there's too much going on for these guys to throw games. They're just trying to win. And then I heard uh, it was that same Pat Connaughton on on uh, the long shot with Duncan Robinson episode where they talk about playing each other back-to-back years in the playoffs or two out of three. And two out of those three years, they both wanted each other. And I think it was Pat saying that um, the year after last year's heat, they really thought they could have their way with. And they, and they backed into that spot. And it wasn't things that 
They weren't kind of like passively getting there. They were actively having conversations in the locker room saying, hey, how do we get these guys? Um, and so you know that that is going on. You know that coaches and players are, are aware of the seedings and who they want to play. So you you say that it's going to be everyone wants to get to that three seed to play the Cavs, and you think it's going to be the Sixers. I mean, it's it's funny because if you think that, you know, that's by far the best first-round matchup. That's that's huge. Then why don't the, the, the Sixers have a leg up to get to the Eastern Conference Finals? They certainly do. It, it pre- presents me a conundrum in my betting. I'm kind of hoping that these final 10 games play out in a way where I can predict someone else will. I also, like I said, I have futures on the Celtics and the Bucks, so I don't think I'm going to be personally looking to make any more futures plays um, in the Eastern Conference. I'm kind of just hoping one of my teams, is, it seems to be Bucks, Celtics, and Sixers, one of them is going to draw the three seed. I'm hoping one of my teams gets that three seed so that I can hold that spot, and then my two teams split in the bracket so that one yep. of them, they don't play each other until the Eastern Conference Finals. Also, before I brought you on today, I talked about um, futures bets that are counter-indicative of each other. You don't want to have two bets where they might play each other in the first round of the playoffs. Like That is just waste of money because one ticket giving the vague away and then the other ticket can't even win yet so you want to get to a point where either both tickets can cash or they're essentially hedging themselves right before a cashing situation like in the in the eastern conference finals Um, yeah it's a good point do you find yourself hedging after the first round when when your team comes out looking great yeah it depends how much I got value on the futures ticket like again when i'm looking at it right now and you're seeing like the Nets plus 280, the Milwaukee plus 290 just to reach the finals. I don't think that's enough juice to hedge, but I got the Bucks at plus 500 uh, a few months ago. And uh, like in the last pod, we talked about taking the Eagles as a Super Bowl bet at 40 to 1 odds. So yeah, if the Eagles happen to make the playoffs in the, in, in the wild card or divisional round, and I have them at a 40 to 1 juice, yeah, I will immediately start hedging that. And you hedge off that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's one of the reasons that I know we talked about the East all day. It, it's one of the reasons that if I'm taking a future, someone to make it to the finals or even win it all, I'm most likely picking the Suns or the Warriors because I, I think that the West is just easier to come out of. And every time I look down this standings list, um, I'm scared of the East. It's it's tough. I mean, you you pick some good teams and then you can hedge off that and you can be all right. But it's it's tough from from a betting perspective, difficult. From a fan perspective, amazing. I remember how many years in a row we just knew LeBron was coming out of the East, and it's the Warriors out of the West, and you just kind of like sit around and reverse engineer based on that. But it it feels open. It feels more like the NFL now. All right, so now here's a great conversation I want to have in this kind of um, yeah fan versus uh, betting kind of sphere. I think this might be the last season or one of the last seasons where we're ever talking about this jockeying for playoff seeding. Austin, have you heard these kind of ideas that uh, based on seeding, you get to choose your opponent? I've heard them generally because a couple of fantasy football leagues use that. I have never heard it as a serious conversation held by Adam Silver. I, I hear them talking about this crazy midseason tournament before the the picking is is this a serious discussion the nba is having there are a lot of high level nba reporters that are now having this discussion 
Um, I do think it's becoming so loud that it's going to be mainstream very soon and the league is going to have to take it seriously and discuss it. I also think it's a great idea. And what the idea is, is that the first seed team would then get to choose between seeds five, six, seven, and eight after the play-in tournament is settled and we know who makes right. the playoffs. The, the the team who wins that first seed, say it's Miami this year, let's 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 play it out like we were gonna play it for the East. Let's actually okay. do this. Let's let's have fun doing this and let's choose the conferences, let's choose the matchups based on how we would how we would do it. So Miami gets the first seed, right? If I'm yep. the Miami Heat and I'm looking at it as all right, these are the teams, and then we got the Raptors and the Nets coming out of the play in. It might not be the Raptors, it might be the Hornets or the Hawks, right? So let's let's go from all those teams. If I'm Miami Heat, I'm choosing either the Cleveland Cavaliers, Toronto Raptors, Done. Charlotte Hornets, or Atlanta Hawks. Uh, absolutely. I mean, look, if, if the Hornets make it, okay, there's so much inexperience and so much bad defense that maybe I still pick the Hornets. But the Cavs is, is really where I would have stopped. I I think that without Jared Allen, and, and yeah, I like JB, Bickerstaff as a coach, but with so little playoff experience and everything on Garland, you want to play the Cavs. And that's what it should be, Mike. That is what this should be. The first seed should be an advantage. You get to play the worst team, the team you want to play. I, I would be all for this. And then you avoid this weird mini tanking for spots. I, I want the best team in the regular season to have, to have an advantage. And I want the regular season to matter more. This 82 games where, you know, you're mailing it in sometimes. If it would be a much bigger advantage, home court advantage plus pick whoever you want to play. That's a gimmick. And then if you think if you could kind of project a few years out, like here, yeah. this was going to get interesting, right? So like, okay, so say that Miami takes Cleveland, like you said. Say that right. the Raptors. Say that the the current Eastern top eight teams are the one that makes it. Let's not worry about Atlanta or Charlotte coming in from the play on from a nine ten. Let's just say Brooklyn and Toronto make it. So I think okay. Miami chooses Cleveland. I think Milwaukee then chooses Toronto. Mm-hmm. Now, I here's agree. where it gets interesting. You got a guy like Scotty Barnes who's going to say, I'm not going to forget that, Milwaukee. Uh-huh. And you might get a situation in three, four, five years from now where Toronto Raptors, led by Scotty Barnes, secures the one seed. And, you know, maybe Middleton's gone, maybe Holiday's gone, and Giannis is left there alone, or, or you know, and he goes, Give me the Bucks. And I think this can then create a sense of rivalries to come back to the NBA, which then levels this up even one step higher. Like beyond just the, in that season, it makes the top teams not, uh, you know, tank late season games. I, I call it ducking right. games. 76ers yeah. are going to be ducking, ducking games late in the season. Um, I love this. I love this. I love this. That's not an angle that I even considered. Obviously, I'm I'm only thinking, you know, what's what's best for the one seed? How do we make that more valuable? I love this. The NBA is about entertainment. We love these rivalries. We want this. We already know that players are taking notes about who's mini ducking and who they had rivalry series with. Someone like Scotty Barnes, he's got what? 15 hopefully years coming up in the NBA. He's taking notes about who doesn't want to see him or who who thinks that they're going to be gimmies in the first round. I love that, especially with the way that teams, I'm sorry, the way that players are traded so frequently and, you know, you're not getting the same team in New York and Indiana year in, year out. You need to manufacture these rivalries and the player-to-player ones work. 
Yep. I honestly think that this conversation is going to be so obvious. It's going to get so loud. And I think it is going to be something that Commissioner Silver adopts in the next coming years. But from a betting perspective, it does make it, I don't know, it would change things up because in the last few years, Austin, I've done really well for myself in this late season stretch, kind of looking at the schedule because common bettors are not looking at the schedule and understanding the playoff seedings and the lottery odds and, and what you need to tank and comparing even the Western Conference teams with the Eastern Conference teams for the lottery seeding. Like, you need to pay attention to these things if you want to try and profit from NBA, especially late in this, this silly season. If you're not looking at that stuff, you might as well not even bet because the, the, the results are going to be so skewed. Like, the one thing I was talking about before I brought you on, Austin, was that the Indiana Pacers play the last 10 games, the, their final 10 games, are against eight playoff teams, the Pistons and, uh, I don't know, I think, Pistons and the Kings, and the Kings are trying to win. Uh, yeah. Pistons are going to be locked into one of those bottom four seeds, and they're playing well, so they're they're going to have no incentive to win or lose that game. Like, they're going to have no incentive to lose that game, so they'll try and win. Meanwhile, the Pacers are sitting right at that fifth worst record spot, and they're one game uh, up on the Blazers and two games up on the Spurs. Even though those are in the other conference, they can really affect the Pacers' future with their lottery odds. So the Pacers can't afford to be winning right now. So again, like if you're looking for late season bets, especially with the way that the rules change and the way that the t- tanking and the seedings work, you really, really got to pay attention to standings, seedings, and scheduling. Um, yeah, I mean that's huge. That's that's what we were talking about. There's so many moving, moving uh, pieces and so many kind of diverging interests here with the teams, not just winning. People like. You and people who are following the league closely that can that can track all that are, are going to have an advantage, obviously. Is there any other team um, in the East that you are going to be either riding or fading? Like I just mentioned with the Pacers, we talked about the 76ers. Are, is there any other teams that you're looking to say, okay, down the stretch, I think this team is really a team that's looking to win, and I think... Yeah, it, Atlanta. Atlanta. I mean, I... I haven't seen their schedule. I like that you looked at the last 10 of the Pacers because it's, you know, there's only 10 games. Matchups matter. I want to see who they're playing. But it's got to be Atlanta. Atlanta felt like they were going to be a solid playoff team, like a a potential home court advantage playoff team. They fell way off that. They don't want to slip into this, you know, 11 through 15 or or even just kind of skirt in on the 10, which looks like they couldn't lose even if they had to. This is a chance for them to move all the way up to 8 and potentially skip one of those the, the double-playing game situation and go right to the playoffs, um, they they want to win. Uh, they're not happy down in Atlanta. I, I have them as my team. Who, who do you think? I also pegged Atlanta. I love that we agree on that. Um, Atlanta's a team that I plan to be backing. They've been so hard to back this season if you've been betting. It's really been tough for them to win consistently, so it, it scares me a little bit. But again, these other teams are going to have motivations off the court that are really going to incentivize what they do on the court. And Atlanta wants to win. I mean, they're one game back of Charlotte. Atlanta clearly has an imp- impressive home court advantage when it comes to big playoff games. So if they could even get to that nine seed, they want that first play-in game in Atlanta. Like, they don't want to be going to Charlotte to play against LaMelo and the runners in Charlotte. They want them to come to Atlanta. They want to be in their house making all that noise. Um, yep. And then, yeah. Sending away players. Sending away games. players to the local. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, their two games 
uh, behind the Nets. And Kyrie's, what, playing three of their remaining ten games in Brooklyn? Or for Brooklyn? Because he certainly isn't playing in Brooklyn. Um, right. But, yeah, so, like, if they're two games from the Nets, one game from Charlotte, I absolutely have Atlanta as a team that I'm trying to back down the stretch. Again, if you're seeing a night where the Atlanta Hawks and the Indiana Pacers are both playing, look to Moneyline parlay those two teams. The Hawks need to win. The Pacers need to lose. You try and get one-to-one odds on there. Screw the spreads and just just try and take the take the teams to win. I mean, I'm probably going to be backing Atlanta nine of the last of these ten games, too. I got to look a little bit more in detail the schedule, see when they're traveling, see what their home and away splits are and which other teams that they're playing against. But yeah, they're the most incentivized team to win in the East right now. Good to see us on the same page. All right, AV. I mean, we've been going for an hour, so I kind of want to cut us off here. Again, we could go, me and you, I know when we get on. Uh, All day, any, baby. Any, yeah, this is the first time we've ever done a recorded NBA talk. But anytime me and you talk NBA, it goes on for way too long. Um, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you coming on. If people need to know, the most important thing about you is you created the name The Advantage. So we will always thank you for that. <laughs> Um, I appreciate the shout out. This was a lot of fun. I, I'll talk ball with you all day, but something about this felt felt right. I'm, I'm going to put some money down after this. Awesome. Well, I hope I could bring you back maybe even before the playoffs, maybe uh, next week to talk some Western Conference, or maybe once we even know um, the seedings, we'll come back. We'll do like a little preview for each matchup, like a little five minute what we're looking for and what we're expecting to see. Uh, yeah, again. I like that. Just to recap for you guys, the, the major bets that me and Austin are both looking at um, in terms of futures, I think Austin mentioned he really likes the Bucks and the Celtics as teams that maybe, it's, I would say, wait for the seeding. But if one of those teams looks like they're going to fall into the seedings, I would assume Austin is going to back those teams. I am already on both of those teams from just reading the value earlier in the season that I'm going to be staying away from any NBA futures. But during the last 10 games or so of the Eastern Conference, I will be fading the Pacers and backing the Hawks. Again, thank you guys for joining us. This has been the second episode of The Advantage. You can follow, rate, review, subscribe, and all that good stuff. I'd really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Austin, thanks again, man. Thank you.